If you have your Bibles, or if you'd like to follow along in the Bible in the pew rack in front of you, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4 this morning. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. And if you are reaching for one of those pew Bibles, I think we're around page number 890, if that helps you locate that. But I invite you to stand with me as we read together God's Word from Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that... When sown upon the soil is the smallest of all seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these, as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing in honor of it. You may be seated. This morning, uh, as we come to this text, I want you to know that it divides quite easily when you look at it in the original language. Every one of these uh, parables or sayings begin with the words, and he was saying to them, or he said to them. There's, there's just a consistent break apart in this text. So there are really four little portions to the text today that we just read. In verse 21, verse 24, verse 26, and verse 30, they all begin with this phrase, and he was saying to them. So we really have four staccato Sayings. You know what staccato is? I, I, I know I put that in the lantern, but then I started thinking that's just my musicianship and my background coming out. But staccato is when you play a note short and quick. Uh, it's just a quick saying that comes and goes. And these sayings are, they're like parables. They, they could be called similitudes. They, they're, they're comparing something. There are similarities there. And so these quick sayings just bang, 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 bang happen. And they all describe the kingdom of God. Last Sunday, when we were looking at the parable of the sower, we mentioned how there was a little breakup um, 
logically in the way things were uh, delivered in Mark. So uh, the parable of the sower comes, and Jesus is on a boat, right? And he's delivering this parable. And then there's this kind of description in verses 10 through 12, which seem to indicate maybe a larger setting, a home or a house or some other place where Jesus privately explained. Like we just read in verse 34, privately he would explain these things. And then you have the explanation uh, given at the end of the parable of the sower that we studied last week. But then I believe that these four sayings were all probably still pictured in Mark's mind's eye on that very boat. Because what will happen is in the next section we study next Sunday, Jesus will be on that boat and they will travel to the other side. So in, in Mark's kind of logical compilation of things, you have all these parables and these sayings being spoken from the boat and many other ways he would preach to them. And he's kind of compacted them into a chapter with some of the private explanation in there. So it's both chronological and logical in Mark chapter 4. And it's all framed, if you look at verse 2 of Mark chapter 4, with this He taught them many things in parables. That's what Mark chapter 4 and verse 2 says. Uh, Justin, if you don't mind throwing that up there on the screen. Yeah, so at the beginning of the chapter, you have this kind of upper limit or frame. And then at the end of the chapter in verse 33, Mark says the same thing. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these. And so this whole chapter is set off with this theme of Jesus speaking to them in parables. Now, there are some similarities that we begin to see with the parable of the sower. You have the parable of this seed and the crop and the mustard seed. You get kind of this agricultural theme that's tying into things. But the main tie that binds all of these together is the message of the kingdom of God. That is the main theme that ties these parables together is the kingdom of God and the message of the kingdom. Now, when we deal with these four sayings specifically, the first two seem to be about how the kingdom was hidden or in Jesus's time was presently kind of hidden. It was uh, the, the parable, the kind of the, the messianic secret, if you will, in Mark chapter, in Mark's gospel. You've got this kind of we don't really know that he's the Messiah until the very end in Mark 16, where the centurion confesses him. So the present hiddenness of the kingdom, but its future revelation. Okay, so we'll explain more of that in a minute. And then the second two parables really deal with the, the way the kingdom will bring about results. Like what's going to come of the kingdom uh, as it begins to spread. So I want to dive into each of these four sayings of Jesus, and along the way, instead of at the end of the message today, giving like application at the end, I want to share each parable, try and explain what I think its main point is, and then give us one point of application along the way with each one of them. So that's kind of how we'll break things down. So first, why don't we consider the parable of the lamp, the parable of the lamp at the beginning here, and I want to give you the point, to be clear, Uh, from our present tense point of view. So if you picked up one of the outlines on your way in, the outline says the kingdom message was hidden briefly, but is now on full display. The kingdom message was hidden briefly, but is now on full display. And I'm looking at that from our point of view. 
In other words, in Jesus' day, in his early Galilean ministry, there was a sense in which the kingdom message was hidden. Let's reread the, uh, the parable of this lamp in verse 21. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. So what is this all about? I want us to start from the simple and kind of work our way from there. Simply speaking, it makes no sense to put a lamp underneath a basket. It makes no sense to put a lamp underneath a bed. Now, the lamp being described was an oil lamp. It would have been made out of clay, typically, and they would have pinched off the ends of this bowl-like container to hold the oil and then dipped a wick into the oil and kind of laid the wick out the edge of one of those pinched ends. And so they would light that, and it would provide uh, illumination in an age without electricity for your house or for your home. And so it doesn't make any sense, Jesus said, to hide the lamp under a bushel basket. So this is where this comes in. This is not a bushel, okay? A bushel has several quarts in it, but this gives you a visual idea of what a bushel basket kind of looks like, and it's easier for me to hold. And he says it doesn't make sense to light that lamp and just cover it and snuff it out. It doesn't make sense to have a lamp and put it under a bed. But that is exactly what is happening presently in Jesus's early ministry. If you remember last week's message, the kingdom message was playing a bit of hide-and-seek, so to speak. Jesus was explaining the parables to those inside, those disciples who wanted to listen, wanted to understand and learn more. But he said to those outside, the kingdom message was being hidden, and it was being hidden for a purpose. And we talked about that purpose resulting in Jesus's ultimate crucifixion, which is the message of the kingdom. Remember the message, just to be clear, was the message Jesus was proclaiming in Mark 1, 15. Repent and believe the good news. And he himself was the good news. But Jesus is going to use some more purpose language when he talks about this lamp being hidden. In fact, I want to reread Mark 4, 22 from the New American Standard Bible. And the New American Standard is just a little bit more strictly translated. It's a little more wooden of a translation. And it says this, Nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If you were here last week, uh, I explained that the Greek word hina it has a, a meaning of a purpose. There's a, it usually sets up a purpose that comes after it. So uh, with the purpose that would be another way that you could uh, translate this woodenly. And so there are actually two of those hinnas in Mark 4.22. So it, it's something like this. The, nothing is hidden except with the purpose that it be revealed. And nothing is a secret except with the purpose that it would come to light. The lamp is hidden in order that, with the purpose that, it be made manifest. 
Now this, I think, makes even more sense when you come to look at verse 21. And in the original language, again, the, the lamp is not a lamp. Okay, the, the translation is, is good, but I think it would be better translated the lamp because it is clearly the definite article. Now, again, I don't want to speak over anyone's head. It's been a long time since I had English myself, and I did not like English. In fact, I didn't learn English well until I started studying Greek in seminary. So please, I understand where you are. When I talk about the definite article, I want to explain what that means. This is a microphone. A microphone is using the indefinite article. This is any old microphone. It's one of many. That's a microphone. That's a microphone. This is a microphone, etc. That is the indefinite article. A lamp. Any old lamp. However, in the Greek, there is clearly a definite article in front of it. Now, what is that? This is the microphone in front of the pulpit. It's bringing definition, clarity, singularity to it. This is the microphone. And when Jesus spoke, he said, the lamp, not a lamp, the lamp comes into a room. It actually used the word comes, not brought. It says the lamp comes into the room. I think, and I'm right here with R.C. Sproul on this interpretation, I truly believe Jesus was referring to himself. The lamp comes into the room not to be hidden, except to be made manifest. Sproul explains, Jesus is speaking about the light, the light that came into the world with the breakthrough of the kingdom of God. The lamp is Jesus himself. He's saying, I didn't come here to be concealed forever. I came here as a lamp to be set on a lampstand so the light that I bring can burst forth and manifest itself clearly to those who dwell in darkness. I didn't come to be covered with a basket or to be hidden under a bed. I came to shine forth. And I think that this parable makes perfect sense of Mark's gospel and that theme of secrecy until the end. There is a a present hiddenness to the kingdom of God where the disciples aren't getting it. The Pharisees are rejecting it. They're taking their bushel and there's something in here. We'll have to make sure this dime gets in the offering at the end. Uh, You know, they're taking their their bushels and they're hiding the kingdom, but the, the, the kingdom message, the lamp is being hidden with a purpose. He's going to be snuffed out on the cross for a purpose that he be made manifest to all. Philippians 2, 8 through 11 says that being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God did not send Jesus in the world to keep him hidden forever. He came so that, Jesus came so that he might be made manifest and the brief hiddenness of his ministry serve the purpose of God that Jesus be crucified in order that he be highly exalted and be worshipped and adored as the Savior of the world. 
So by way of application for us today, simply put, put the lamp on the lampstand. That's why Jesus came. Put the kingdom message, repent and believe the gospel for all to see. Jesus crucified, dead, and raised. He came to be made manifest, not to be hidden forever. And he is on full display in our day. So that's why it was hidden briefly, but now is fully on display for all the world to see. Now we look to verse 24 in the second phrase, the second saying, and we see Jesus saying, he said to them, verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. Literally, watch what you listen to. Watch what you are hearing. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away. What does this parable mean? I would argue that the meaning is the kingdom message makes much more sense to those who are truly interested in listening to it. The kingdom message makes much more sense to those who are truly interested in listening to it. Watch, pay attention to what you hear, to how you listen. Now, the proverb Jesus is quoting goes something like this. The measure you use is the measure that will be measured back to you. So I want you to imagine that I have a big bushel over here and this little tiny pretend bushel over here, okay? If I go into the marketplace and I say, I'll give you three of these for five bushels of those, and I try and measure my three with this tiny one and expect you to measure out the five and the big one, you're going to say, uh-uh. No, we're going three for five with the same bucket, dude. The same measure has to be used when I measure mine to give to you for you to measure to give back to me. That's only fair. And that is kind of the picture of listening in this gospel, in this parable. These containers are the way that we hear, and the way we hear is the way it will be measured back to us. Now, here's something really interesting. The previous parable said a lamp, the lamp, doesn't come into the room to be put under a bushel basket. It's literally the same kind of measuring bushel you would take to measure something out with. And I think there's a tie between these two sayings with that illustration. The, the basket matters, you know. And the point is, it, it, this is why I chose the small one. It's like our ears. This is all, this part, this measure you use is a measuring basket. It's a bushel. And the point is, the way you hear is how it will be measured back to you. Pay attention to the way you're listening Don't use your basket to snuff out the light of the world, which is what some were doing. He says, use your basket to receive the kingdom message. And with that measure you use, not only will you get that back, but more even will be added to you. So think again about this idea of the 
hiddenness of the messianic message to the, even the disciples. They understood this much. I think they probably had a little tiny basket worth because they didn't fully understand what was happening. They were getting it in bits and pieces, but even when Peter would confess Jesus as Messiah, he still had different plans for Jesus as Messiah in Mark chapter 8. And Jesus had to rebuke him. You don't fully understand yet. But after the resurrection, all of the Gospels make clear that there were things that they began to understand in small measure that was measured back to them and added to. They got it because they were listening. They were trying. They were trying to understand. They were paying attention with their bushel basket and wanting it, and it was measured back to them. So the, the metaphor there, the, the picture is you can use your basket to receive, or you can use your basket to cover up the light, and that's exactly what Jesus says happens. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, John three nineteen. The light, the lamp has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works, their deeds were evil. There is a type of listening that uses the bushels God gave you to snuff out the light of the lamp, such that the light that you have is taken away from you. And then there is a type of listening and hearing that takes these bushels to receive and obey God's word. And that type of listening will receive back even more. So by way of application for us today, Mr. Dime, here we go. How we listen matters even today. What are you putting into your Bible reading plan? Is it a checkbox that you rush through? Are you praying, asking the Holy Spirit to help you hear and obey and heed God's word? How are you listening on Sundays when God's word is preached? It it matters. In Jesus' time, there were many disciples who were interested in knowing more about the kingdom, and even that small amount they understood was about to be multiplied to them back in a big way. Their understanding And what they had received was going to be measured back and added to. And the same can be true for us. Dig in, pay attention to what you're hearing, watch what you're hearing, how you're hearing, not just to hear, but to listen and obey the word of God, and the reward will be very great. As I was preparing to deliver this message, I was reminded of Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Verse 1, verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that God exists, and he rewards those who what? Earnestly, diligently seek him. And faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. So when we hear God's word, receive it by faith, and earnestly seek God. By faith, he will reward that. I think that is the the point of this parable. 
Let's turn now to the third saying. The third saying is in verses 26 through 29, where we see that the kingdom message is supernaturally powerful to produce a harvest for the end of the age. The kingdom message has power to produce a harvest for the end of the age. Rereading these verses, we see the kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. That was just the way of Hebrews clocking every day, you know, because they would measure it from sunset to sunrise. So he goes to bed every day, and the seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. It's like magic to him. He doesn't understand. I put a seed there, and then I've got this, a soil that produces a crop by itself. In the Greek, it looks like the word automatic. Automatically, this soil is producing first the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, there are a few, um, you know, commentators and and early fathers that might have wanted to uh, allegorize the various parts of the, what is the blade, and what is the blade with the stalk, and the blade and the stalk and the head, and does that represent something? And I, I just genuinely feel like the point of this parable is more about the confounding of the farmer and how it happened. The farmer goes to sleep, and he doesn't even know how the seed produced the little blade. And then the soil just, it seems like, automatically makes the full harvest. And then we send for the sickle, and, you know, God gave me the soil, God gave me the rain, God gave me the sunlight. I just go to bed every night. I sleep, I wake up, I go to sleep again, and wake up, and bam, all I did was sow, and I just go out there and pull it in. I think that's the point of the power of the message of the kingdom of God to produce a harvest. There are times when the seed goes into the ground. The seed of God's word seems like it is hidden temporarily in the ground, out of sight. We don't know if it's going to have any effect or not. But much like the way a seed can transform into a blade, then a stalk with a head on it, the farmer, while the farmer is still sleeping at night, the kingdom of God and its message will produce a harvest that highlights God's power to bring about the big results. I think of Paul when he wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Peter talked about a seed. He talked about an imperishable seed in 1 Peter 1, verses 22 through 25. He says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word, the seed, the imperishable seed, is the good news, gospel, that was preached to you. The word of God, the, the good news of the gospel, is the imperishable seed that produces 
Christians, born again, believers, you've been born again by the living and abiding word of God. This is the power of the message. Paul puts it in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the, the gospel because it is what? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So by way of application, we understand that when we spread the word, when we teach and preach and lead our families in God's word, as the Bible puts it, don't underestimate the value of what can happen by the power of God in bringing about a harvest. Don't scorn your family devotions as though they're insignificant. They look like a little seed. I don't think I'm getting much out of this. Don't scorn being a CBF teacher when you feel like the kids are running around, you don't understand, are they getting it? Are they not getting it? The power of God's word will produce its intended result. It will produce a harvest. We are called as the farmer in this parable to be faithful and sow that seed and watch God's word grow a harvest for the end of the age. That's this sickle, sending the sickle and the harvest was a Jewish way of speaking of the end of the age, when, when the judgment would come, that God would judge the living and the dead, and he would send his sickle and harvest in those who are the wheat and separate them from the tares and, and the barns, okay? So this is the power of God's word to produce a harvest for the end of the age. Fourth and finally, we come to understand that this kingdom message not only is powerful to produce a, a harvest, but the harvest will have big results. I mean, really big results. The kingdom message, it might have humble beginnings, but its growth will be beyond all human expectation. That's what the parable of the mustard seed is about. The mustard seed was often used as an example of the smallest kind of seed in Jewish teaching and writings. It was a common metaphor that Jesus would have known that they knew what he was talking about when he said it was the smallest of all seeds. Now, some people have tried to poke holes in the inerrancy of Scripture by giving us a botany lesson and telling us that the mustard seed really isn't quite the smallest seed of all. Uh, But that's missing the point. Jesus is using their common understanding of what is the smallest of seeds and sharing that this very small thing produces a really big result. That's the point of the parable. When you sow a mustard seed, which is itsy itsy tiny, it produces a garden plant that towers over the others, 10 and 12 feet high with branches that go out. It's a big thing. And listen, you don't want to accidentally drop a mustard seed where you don't want a mustard plant. They're invasive and they grow big and fast. And that's the point of this parable, the growth of the kingdom might seem like it has humble and tiny beginnings, but its growth will exceed all human expectation. Starting with just 12 disciples, the kingdom of God has grown into a worldwide movement. All of history is now marked by the advent of a Jewish rabbi who had no place to lay his head no human fortune to speak of, no earthly kingdom power to wield. Yet the message of Christ's kingdom has spread to every continent 
And there are countless millions of people who bow their knees to Jesus as the King of Kings. We are here today in Leonardtown, Maryland, nearly 2,000 years after Jesus of Nazareth walked this earth as an outpost of this very kingdom of God. And we still see God doing amazing things to grow his kingdom. The parable of the mustard seed reminds me of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Throughout all generations, God has been taking what began as a humble, small group of apostles, and he has grown it to what it is today. And there's still more room at the banquet for others to come. So until he returns, we have that privilege of sharing the message of the kingdom with the great and sincere expectation that God is able to do far more than we even ask or think with the message of the gospel. By way of application for this point, I couldn't help but think of Pastor Allen's message a few weeks ago when we were studying Mark's gospel and his slide. You remember his slide about life groups and how we need to get small-minded about our approach to disciple-making But that small-minded approach can have really big results. If each one of us would just disciple one person per year and teach them to be a disciple-maker, our growth would be exponential. I think that's exactly what Jesus has in mind when he trained the twelve and he sent them out, he told them to make disciples. And part of the way he trained them was he, teach, he taught them to observe all things, but he also sent them. So it was supposed to be a perpetual cycle of teach them to observe all things. The commission itself says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things. And part of the all things is that we are to go. So we can start really small and have really big exponential results. This, I believe, is why we can take great comfort in knowing that the kingdom message has power because it will grow if we are simply faithful. It will grow beyond our expectations if we will hear and heed the kingdom message. Understand it has power and are faithful, fruit-bearing, disciple-making followers of Jesus. The results will be beyond anything we could ask for or think. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today and ask for you to teach us to think small. Teach us to think about 
mustard seeds. And how our words and our faithfulness to teach your word, proclaim the good news of the gospel to others, can have magnificent and powerful impacts in the kingdom of God. Remind us of the importance of faithfulness. The importance of the faithfulness to sow the seed. To share the imperishable seed of the gospel. And trust you with big results. Lord, all we have to do is look at the way you have changed each one of us who profess faith in Christ. Oh, Father, where would I be were it not for your grace? Where would I be were it not for a faithful messenger who proclaimed the good news of the gospel week in and week out to a local body of believers at First Baptist Church in Daytona Beach, part of the kingdom of God. Lost in sin, dead in trespasses, maybe just dead, in prison. Father, the message of the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection has changed me completely and It is the same message that has transformed the lives of hundreds of people here who follow Jesus and worship him as King of kings and Lord of lords. May we never forget the simple message of the gospel and never fail to be faithful, even when it's hard. Help us to just go to to sleep at night and rest in your sovereignty. Rest in the power of the message itself. And trust you to bring about big results. Let us get back to the simple things of disciple making. Doing what you told us, commissioned us to do. To go. Make disciples. Teach them, train them, sit knee to knee to them, walk through life with them. And then watch the gospel transform their lives such that they are faithful to the command to go and make disciples. Lord, I pray that Leonardtown Baptist Church would be faithful in these things, that you would give us a heart for the kingdom of God. Thank you for the way that in your plan you brought the lamp into the world And use the rejection of Messiah to bring about the salvation of the world. Father, we don't understand all the ways in which you work. We simply glory in your wisdom and your power. And we thank you that Jesus is now manifest. And we look for and long for the day when it will be true that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that you are Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.